0: Everyone seemed to have have their tongue up his ass and it was like, have you ever seen this guy? How can this weird, odd-looking guy kind of inspire this much devotion in people?
1: Hello and welcome to another Geek Sweat. I am King Dom and this is Dom's Docs, the strand where we talk about documentaries. Joining me today are Stephen Code.
0: Hello, hello.
1: How are you doing Stephen? Um yeah, I'm um, I I'm, I'm still alive, so that's something. That is a relief to everyone, I must say. So so happy you're still alive. And also joining us today are TJ.
2: Uh hello kingdom. Thanks for having me again and I'm also very happy that Stephen's alive.
1: I think I think we can all agree on that if nothing else.
2: This isn't a necrophilia podcast just yet.
1: Other necrophilia podcasts are available.
2: I want to say one thing uh, before we start. I actually saw The King of Staten Island um, and I'm not, um, I, that wasn't accidentally watched because of today's subject, but that was actually a pretty good film. Are
0: we gonna mention other, other films that
1: start The King? The King of Comedy is probably my favorite ever film. Yeah, that's a good shout. So we're just gonna mention random things with King in the title. Like an hour and a half later, you'll check in and we'll be like, well, The King's speech was slightly disappointing. <laughs> no, we are here to talk about actually um a documentary which you recommended to us Stephen the king of Kong which is weird because I'm not really into video games at all
0: which is why I never appear on Jamie's um segment of this um of our um geek sweat um Empire oh really I, I thought that was just because you didn't like her oh no I mean that is part of it obviously um but another part of it is that I I don't play games and I don't really have any knowledge or, or or opinions on it but i i was by a by a gamer um many years ago and it was a fantastic documentary i thought so you've never classified yourself as a gamer me i'm not a gamer now i don't i never i play like freestyle a few times a day that's it (laughs) (laughs) i've actually got on my on my um my um book bookshelf here i've had I've, i bought a paint pen the other day because i had to mark my bin outside because i live in like there's an alley outside my house so it's very confusing about whose bins is who so i bought a paint pen but now i've been writing down my my lowest um moves in freestyle to win the game i've got down to 72 which if you think about it in a game of freestyle there's 52 cards so that's already 52 moves that you have to make so to make it within another 20 moves i think is pretty pretty incredible but that is impressive if there was competitive free sell you would be like right i think i'd be quite good at it i'm i mean i might not be steve weaver or um or billy mitchell
1: level steve weeby steve weeby don't don't get his name wrong that was like you know what i'm saying at the
0: end steve weeby I'm, I'm not steve weeby or billy mitchell free cell level yet I mean, I think I'm just slightly under. Do you think you're worth a phone call to Twin
2: Galaxies to send a VHS tape in? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, 72 moves to get all the 52 cards off, I think is quite impressive. But then, you
1: know, I tend to blow my own trumpet.
2: Yeah, let's get back on track. Um, Dom, tell us more about this documentary.
1: Right, so what we're looking at today is The King of Kong, which is a 2007 documentary. And it was directed by Seth Gordon. And this documentary talks about the rivalry based around the popular classic 1981 arcade game, Donkey Kong, the rivalry between Steve Wiebe, who is an up and coming challenger and the incumbent record holder, Billy Mitchell. And there's also a variety of other colorful characters around the world of competitive (laughs) gaming. I think that's the fairest way to put it. including Steve Sanders, who is the author of the um, Master's Guide to Donkey Kong and also one Walter Day, who goes by the title of World's Video Game Referee. (laughs) Self-imposed. Yeah. Self-appointed title. He also wears a referee uniform, which he probably sleeps in.
2: That's like, was, that. yeah that was fascinating I mean, <laughs> didn't he do like a little short animated video where he was doing the signals and the key codes
1: yeah there is a whole bunch of um hand signals no i'm not doing a hand signal i'm just adjusting <laughs> i quite liked um i quite liked the no swearing signal which was <laughs> covering yeah. your mouth with your fist <laughs> Yeah, I think the other one
2: was kind of weird, was it? That was No Interference, wasn't it?
1: Like, There was like a, like a palm out, which was like um, audience interference.
2: Yeah, audience interference, that was it, yeah. I, I've got to say, my first thoughts of this documentary, this is a Danny McBride comedy feature film waiting to happen because there's so many elements <laughs> of ridiculousness, delusion and just... Even just bad taste clothing, which is a staple of um, Daniel Bright films. (laughs) I
1: mean, let's put in a word for Billy Mitchell and his absolutely appalling ties.
2: The thing is, he's (laughs) an interesting character because I think he sees himself as some kind of um, American prodigal hero.
1: We
0: never see him play during the whole documentary. It's like doing a a documentary on Eric Cantona and not showing a goal that he scored or anything.
2: But Stephen, didn't you think that was like the twist? Like that was, that's the twist that they were leading up to because they was building up this legend of all of the places he'd been, all of the circuits he'd been endorsed on, all of the certificates he'd won. And then all of a sudden, it's like the uh, the mystique of who he is gets pulled apart bit by bit. But what do you think of it, Don?
1: I mean, I actually loved it. I mean, I had high expectations just based on the fact that Steven loved this documentary and he's not a gamer. And that is the hallmark of yeah. a good documentary is something that extends beyond its yeah. subject matter. And yeah. in a, to a very real extent, a lot of documentaries are made by the personalities of their subjects. And this has just got such colorful characters. I mean, mm. I, I, don't, I didn't love Billy personally, but I loved him as a character, the way he like mm. appears there just self-importantly intoning stuff in his terrible shirt and his terrible tie yeah. and saying stuff like, I'm the all-around most seasoned person in the hot sauce chicken industry. <laughs> just the, like the total self-importance, you know, you have to travel to a sanctioned location. <laughs> <laughs> what else? I've just got a whole page of like uh, Billy quotes.
2: Before you get to that, there's a lot of selfishness going on with self stuff because you're supposed to be a self-made entrepreneur. He ends up becoming a self-appointed um, like champion of gaming across the world, even though it seems to be largely competitors from the New Hampshire area, which is basically saying the best gamers in Essex, but applying that to the world.
1: Um, um, to be fair, that's a really good analogy in many ways. I don't know if you've ever been to New Hampshire, but yeah.
2: No, I have been to New Hampshire actually, and it's.
1: I think okay that that would account for the accuracy of that metaphor.
2: Yeah, it's supposed to be more famous for the Cog Railway now. I'm not I think the the fun spot is still open, but I don't think it's got the same acclaim as it had before. And um and we've got to be specific. Like we are talking about these are champions of arcade games because the the premise of the documentary is about a record on the Donkey Kong score from back in 1982. And um I'll be honest, when I got into I mean I would have been probably i major, probably about four or five years old, but I got into arcades with things like Dragon's Lair, and maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and um, I think Street Fighter a little bit as well, so I wasn't really playing games where it was about the highest score, you were just playing games to clock it and get to the end. So the era of arcade games where it's like amassing the most amount of points in one without getting killed in like one run or one go. That era seems to have kind of just passed by at the moment because most computer games now is just about getting to the end and surviving.
1: I mean, it was somehow a phenomenon of the first phase or maybe the second phase of video gaming. It became all about the high score and you know getting that um, three name tag on the leaderboard at the end.
2: I mean, did you believe that he was as good as he said he was because i think in the beginning i mean steven mentioned a character called steve sanders um there's a moment where i think the walter character who owns this kind of uh, adjudication self-appointed adjudication team called twin galaxies who end up getting a shop front and they end up more or less recruiting all of the top scorers one by one into their kind of panel of adjudicators but steve Sanders, i think the first kind of media meetup they have of the top scorers around the world. They found out that Steve Sanders actually cheated his score and it wasn't a legitimate score.
0: Yeah, um, I read about, I mean, I did a bit of research about this because I know there's a bit of controversy about the film. Steve Sanders' score, Billy Mitchell and a friend of his, I think, and this is Pac-Man we're talking about, I think, where um, they worked out that the maximum yeah. possible score is like 330,000 or something. And this guy was saying he got 6 million, I think. And uh, they actually sat down for a few days yeah, and worked yeah. out what the maximum score in Pac-Man would be and that uh, he realised could, he couldn't he could have got yeah. the score. Yeah. Just a bit out. But you know what That what
2: was fascinating about this documentary is how uh, limited the community is who understand the game and understand the maximum potential and points you can get on the game. And they were just blurting out that they were the champions. And then through saying that they were champions and having somebody else saying it, suddenly they were getting on local regional and national tv up to the point that the guinness book of records in england were calling them up calling this twin galaxies grew up group up to let them verify the scores
1: i guess that's i mean how all sports and games start isn't it they start at a local level and then they organize and then they organize a bit more and somehow the body that's grown up around them becomes the official body i mean you look at how things like I know snooker had transitioned from being a hobby into a professional sport. And I mean, it's something like that. Although, obviously, it's something with a bit more visual appeal for a mainstream audience.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, snooker's um, big bonus was colour TV. It's, you know, it's a great thing because, it's about and, um, you
1: know, until colour TV, um, snooker didn't really work on TV. Yeah and weirdly enough um, this is going to link to when we do My Octopus Teacher, this will be the second shout out for David Attenborough because David Attenborough was the controller of BBC2 who decided to do Pop Black to take advantage of snooker in colour. Yeah, yeah,
2: Speaking of black black and white, I mean this documentary um, kind of makes out uh, Billy Mitchell to be the kind of Darth Vader as it were of um, the story and Steve Weeby is the Luke Skywalker of this story, who's kind of come from the farm or the local house, and he's like the local hero who hasn't done much of his life because it, it turns out he was—he was, he was a failed musician in the grunge pops era. He was a failed baseball player at the college level because he what he could have gone pro, and he didn't do quite well on in basketball. And quite ominously, his wife was kind of very um complimentary about how good he was with his hands before he tried before he went to Donkey Kong
1: <laughs> she, she also said um he's come up short in a lot of things in his life which had a, mi- a mixture of sympathy and exasperation in it
2: <laughs> yeah it, it was kind of it it felt like and i think you find out later when you, when you look around the story this documentary was kind of had the hollywoodized villain and hero story and the yeah. journey of one man against an empire yes as it were. and that empire being the goal the score making and mm. taking machine
1: and i think possibly with the video game subject matter, it's just irresistible to like bolt a star wars narrative onto it yeah yeah but I mean, going back to the snooker thing, hopefully that wasn't a total digression, because I mean, we're talking about how something starts as a pastime and ends up as a professional sport.
2: Yeah. But yeah. the
1: weird thing is with this video game thing, it's still somehow in the kind of amateur formative stage yeah, yeah, where yeah. there are self-appointed guys who are running it. And they are all guys. And the people verifying the records are sometimes the people who held the record in the first place. Mm-hmm. So there's a massive conflict of interest yeah. all over the place.
2: Yeah, yeah, because I I found I did a bit of research around it. Like, there was a guy called Todd Rogers who was in a controversy about a game called Dragster, where he claimed for like ten years that he had the the lowest time score on Dragster, even though it wasn't reported anywhere else but inside the Twin Galaxy Public Relations machine, because the Guinness Book of Records never said it, Activision had never said it, and um, it turns out that. The Activision only printed it after Twin Galaxies verified their own like panel member's uh, score, which was Todd Rogers at the time. And I think um, in Donkey Kong, apparently there was a guy called Tom Sherby. Um, I think the name's spelled
0: S-S-E-R-B-Y. Huh? The weird guy that kept posing naked with, with buxom women.
2: Um, no, no, no. He's not in the documentary. That's oh, somebody okay. else. So about, apparently when this documentary was made, it's just one slight criticism, uh, apparently the Donkey Kong uh, record had been broken in 2000 or or, or 1999 by some guy called Tom Serby, but he was omitted from the um, documentary because he didn't have a personality. And, and, so true. True. and so it made a more interesting narrative to have this like 25 years standing record that was broken by Steve Wiebe. So. Steve Wiebe wasn't officially the first person to break the one million point mark. And that says something about this documentary because Twin Galaxies, Bill Mitchell, and uh, the guy called Walter, who's a self-appointed referee, they sp- you find out later on they spend a lot of time like obfuscating and obstructing and hiding the top scores of other game play, arcade game players so that they can maintain the illusion that Billy Mitchell is the best of the best, because it's a kind of publicity stunt where they're acting as more like an agency than a, a, an official, a, official point score.
0: The sicker fancy towards Billy
1: Mitchell by his acolytes was just, was just fucking gross. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was bizarre. It, it explained how he became so self-important, because literally the first time you see Billy, the first thing he ever says is, when you want your name written into history, you have to pay the price. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's some hidden, hidden truths in there because if you look at all of the gamers by comparison, everyone seems to be kind of unemployed or low-level, um, main, low-maintenance themselves. And it's like he's the only one who's kind of married He's got his own business his parents seem to be working for him as employees of his business steve has a family and a job and kind of he's like a, a normal guy yeah but i i think he was training to be a solicitor steve was tra- training to be a solicitor he never had his own firm at the time I
1: think. oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah by the way um, the guy who was um posing with the uh, bucks and women was the slightly unfortunately named roy shilt i think that's how you would say it oh yeah
2: yeah
1: or roy, roy <laughs> shall
2: and but he had a pseudonym didn't he because he was trying to he was trying to be a celebrity personality
1: yeah what, what did he call himself i can't even remember now the master game no the it was like king gamer or something like that but master game it was wasn't it the game oh i can't remember yeah. um I mean, there were so many ridiculous and overblown things. By the time he said his ridiculous and overblown nickname, I'd already got a page and a half of notes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think he called himself Mr. Awesome. Um,
1: That's it, Mr. Awesome. Yeah, he was into bodybuilding. That's right. And he had the number plate that said Mr. Awesome. And I think by this point, I'd like... (laughs) (laughs) given (laughs) up because there was a quote like that every minute
2: because the thing is i I think i think the issue was the the, this gaming community was like so small and so built up that there was obviously a pinnacle that everyone everyone wanted to be on whether it was roy schilt who was the mr awesome guy who used to make uh kind of amateur videos of himself as a kind of uh, some kind of Unicorn police officer who was had a way of the women giving like advice on how to pick up women. But um and then you've got like Steve Weeby who was kind of looking for his own pinnacle uh, or mountain to ascend himself and it was almost like uh Twin Galaxies were like the gatekeepers they're saying that you you shall not pass, almost Gandalf like. And and they they were keeping the spot safe for um uh, Billy Mitchell. I mean, one of the characters that I really despised in this was a guy called Brian Koo. Yes. He was yes. every element of an arsehole. Basically, in this documentary there's a point where um, it's argued that Steve Weeby had be, be, Steve Weeby had video recalled, like Camcorder recorded, his top score on Donkey Kong, uh, which um, Brian Mitchell had held. Sorry, Billy Mitchell had held. But he submitted it and then they were saying, Oh no, you can't submit videotaped recordings of your top score. So <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll come down to the venue and play on an independent machine and get the top score. And as he was approaching Billy Mitchell's top score, this guy was doing all types of weirdness. Like he was standing over his shoulder, commentating whilst he was playing. He was he was obstructing million, his million million the time. Yeah, he was he was putting things on top of the um arcade machine whilst the guy was playing and, and you've got to remember to sympathize with this is um this is an arcade game box standard in the 80s you're sat on a wooden chair for like two and a half hours yeah. to get anything close to a top score so this isn't just like amateur gaming there's an element of endurance about it and um i was actually he actually tried to go around the whole arcade um game area calling people from other games to come and watch this guy but what was a nice twist of fate was we got a second wind out of it.
0: Hey, uh, I, I don't even want to know, but there's a, there's a, a Donkey Kong <laughs> access screen coming yeah. up. Yeah, he's <laughs> <Get>
2: around <laughs> and there's a don, don, Donkey Kong kill screen. Yeah. And um, for anyone who doesn't know what a kill screen is, apparently, and you learn a lot in, in this documentary, it's very educational. Apparently, there are old arcade games, which doesn't have the kind of the memory or data to let you ascend through the levels. And some games haven't got an official um, end level. So the idea is you end up on a level that's not been calculated or the algorithm has not been calculated properly. So your character turns into a dismembered sprite and that ends the game automatically please. So that's a kill screen.
0: It just kills Mario, doesn't it? after f- five seconds? But apparently you can get... No, this is on the Pac-Man kill screen I read earlier. It's like half the screen is is like the Pac-Man game, you know, but then the rest is all kind of um, computer gibberish. But apparently you can go into that computer gibberish and get the points you need from that, which I, you know, but you have to know where they are because you can't see the points. But the Donkey Kong kill screen is different. You just drop dead after five seconds, I think.
2: I want to say one good thing about this documentary as well. There's a clever use of a Leonard Cohen song, Everybody Knows. Which, it, and then <laughs> if anyone knows what he looks like, he's kind of like a man in black. He's very close to Johnny Cash, but he's very dour. And, like, when they played that song, you can kind of see the ominous spectre of who Billy Mitchell is and how he's influencing everybody, <laughs> everybody around him, because he's he, he, his basic game is not actually playing the arcade game. It's actually talking people into submission, because he's so entrenched in his own PR. Everybody is kind of debating, repeating things that he's not proven, because we later find out he's never played a game in public. Sorry, not never played a game. No, no. never played a high-scoring game in public.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: I'm only saying this because there's another doc. There's two other documentaries. One's called uh, Chasing Ghosts, which I think was made in 2008, and another one came out shortly after this in 2012 called the king of con so that's k-i-n-g of c-o-n and it's actually another high scoring high scoring high point scoring gamer in i think donkey kong who was found by another documentary filmmaker who made a film to kind of right the wrongs or right the omissions, or the people who omitted from this
0: documentary you two know games better than i do what's donkey kong jr
2: I that never really gets explained. Dom, did you know what it was?
0: Because that's that's why his first score was, um, apparently expunged his first million score, you know, that he did on his own and then tape. Apparently, that's because the guy, you know, the Mr. was not Mr. Austin, what was Roy he? Yeah, yeah, he sent him a new board for his, um, for his, um, setup. Yeah. And yeah. apparently, that the reason it was disqualified was because it had donkey kong and donkey kong jr on that oh okay it wasn't like a pure donkey kong circuit board
2: yeah because they were trying to make out like that these boards could be modified and that yeah yeah you you can't get high scores on the same machine so um i think at some point like two people it's rumored that two people kind of went into his house when he was not there and uh, to kind of take apart the machine
1: yeah. Donkey Kong Jr. is actually the sequel to Donkey Kong and um, it um, reverses the roles from the previous game. So Mario is actually the villain. Oh, really? And um, yeah, and Donkey Kong is trying to rescue Donkey Kong Jr., who is the son of <laughs> Donkey Kong, is trying to rescue his father from Mario. Oh, okay. So I guess it's kind of been forgotten because it's not in the. Um, It's not in the canon of the Mario story now, because I don't think he's ever been the villain in any other game.
2: That sounds really weird. Where did Donkey Kong get time to have kids when he was throwing barrels off a wrecked construction? That's just one of the many (laughs) mysteries. I mean, we'd
1: need a whole other backstory to explain that. Have you both played Donkey Kong? I've
2: only played it on a handheld device. I've not played it in the arcade.
1: I mean, I've I've played it, yeah, similar. It's not my favorite game from that era, I've got to say. Basically, because it's really frustrating. Is it difficult? It um, is insanely difficult. It's I don't find there's a lot of like difficulty slash reward. The ratio isn't there for me. Okay, that was okay. one
2: thing I, w- I always found strange about this documentary because um I'm trying to remember what the guy's name is. It was Walter um, something. Walter Day. Yeah. Um, he opens up the uh, documentary by saying about how this is about skill, dexterity, great hand-eye coordination, and stuff like that
1: yes I, I have the actual quote here um, he says um you have to have deep comprehensive intelligence
2: yeah and i'm just thinking like a lot of what i saw i mean a lot of what i saw of the game was more about endurance and endurance like
1: endurance memorizing
2: yeah i mean and- i
1: would say like pac-man more than donkey kong needs some kind of like instinct because um the ghosts in Pac-Man used a very basic form of um, AI, where the ghosts have different personality, and some yeah. of them are more stupid than others, and some of them will behave in slightly different ways.
2: Yeah, yeah. Maybe I saw, saw it from another documentary, but they were saying that AI didn't actually properly exist in gaming until Gary Kasparov played, I think, the Big Blue Chess. Yeah,
1: Deep Blue. Machine. Yeah.
2: So what what you had is actually just a repeating algorithm going going over and over again and it was about understanding what algorithm worked because i think there was they said there was one level of Donkey Kong which is called the elevators elevator level or something like that
0: Where yeah apparently know? there's like nine of them yeah. during the, the whole game there's like every every five or six screens is a
2: um... yeah and there's a thing like these springs that are hopping like the rocks check the barrels change to rocks then they change to to springs and it's like if you can get the spring that lines up with the ladders that's the time to kind of jump up and go to the next level. So a lot of it seemed to be like muscle memory more than
0: skill. That's what elite sportsmen do. I mean, they have to, you know, it's like Gary Player, you know, saying the more I practice, um, the luckier I get, you know, it's about kind of getting that, I mean, that's part of mm. the, the discipline. That's yeah. part of uh, how you get the game is the muscle memory, can, you know, you have, you can't do it without it really. <laughs>
2: can I ask one question? at what point of the documentary did you realize that billy mitchell was like really a cut above not in terms of skill level but in terms of influence and personality on the gaming world which
0: everyone seems to have have their tongue up his ass and it was like have you ever seen this guy (laughs) yeah how, how, how can this weird odd looking guy kind of inspire this much devotion in people. I mean, the thing is, you see him younger when he's without his beard and his and his hair, and yeah. he's kind of, like, the worst part of his face is his eyes, and that's the one bit he doesn't bother covering up, because his eyes
1: yeah. are evil, his eyes are awful, awful eyes. You know, especially, like, the final scene <laughs> where he's um, with um, Steve Sanders, and Steve Sanders is saying, you know... Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's complimenting know, Steve. Yeah, and saying, he's complimenting yeah the other guy and um throughout this whole thing billy mitchell yeah, is just doing a death stare and then it cuts to him saying i'm not familiar enough with the situation yeah yeah
2: the, the, th- the thing is personality wise i've got the impression that steve sanders was like just a bully who got beaten up by another bully at school and that bully was billy mitchell and billy mitchell kind of comes across as like a bad magician who's performing at a fate he lives so like could- a
0: a tory um a tory magician
2: no but he do you know what he looks like a bad he looks like a bad magician performing at a fake but he he's striking do- so much fear into the crowd that no one wants to complain about how bad a magician he is so he talks people through he talks people through the tricks he's making rather than doing the trick and that's what he basically does he he talks people into believing that he's one of the best gamers in the community rather than actually getting his hands on the machine and saying, this is how you play Donkey Kong. This is how you get 600,000. This is how you get 800,000. I did this when I broke the 1 million mark. That is exactly it, isn't it? And that's the... It's it's kind of... The the documentary plays this game with you where you don't realise the trick that they're pulling on you because you're so immersed in this kind of Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader kind of battle between... Um, the young kid from the from with the with the wholesome family by the way because when you actually see Billy Mitchell's family he ends up with a child who's got the same mullet haircut as him <laughs> which makes it kind of like this Damien Omen situation. And then he's got a wife who is um suspiciously attractive. let let me just say that. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna put myself into a Me Too situation nah, about- she's
0: she's she's, <laughs> she's, a, she's American attractive which is slightly different.
2: No, but she's got, she seemed to have enhanced breasts. or nice. um, yeah. yeah. well, at least the cleavage that was very more prominent. And the other woman, the uh, Steve Weeby's wife, comes across as a stay-at-home mum. And, yeah. oh, 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 sorry, a, a mum that's working two jobs, maybe, to keep yeah. his Donkey Kong dream alive. And so there's this, all of these parod, uh, parodies going on. And you're so immersed in, like, who's going to win? He's going to get a score that you forget how's this guy got ten thousand pounds to create a bounty to beat his top score and then you start seeing the uncovering of i think there's one moment where he sends a tape in because that's one of the, the arcs of the film where he's saying we can't the the adjudicators the, the, the are saying we can't see a score unless it's publicly submitted yeah. and then he turns around saying oh i don't he, he he gets this old lady who's supposed to be really good at cuba to oh, go yeah. on a, a a cross-country trip on his behalf with a VHS tape. And he's saying like, look, you can lose your luggage, you can lose your handbag, you can lose your passport, but don't lose this tape. And then yeah. at one point, he says to a kid, this Brian Koo arsehole guy who's doing the distractions, to Steve Wiebe, he said, look, you can lose your life, but don't lose this tape. And I'm thinking, what's so special about this tape? And He, he plays this kind of glitchified tape, yeah. which is pro- supposed to prove that he's got a one million point score on Donkey Kong. But not in the documentary but later on you find out that it was actually a fake tape and it was. the internet has since discovered that um um there may have been a use of game emulator technology by um either Walter water bay or billy mitchell to produce that tape
0: i started reading about game emulator technology when i was researching and i got about a paragraph into it and then i realized i didn't know what the hell I was reading <laughs> what it meant at all, but you know, apparently that's yeah. His that that a million scored. He's made has been is now right. it's been wiped. Yeah, because I mean, the, the the total hypocrisy of him. I mean, it's just you know, oh, you got to prove it in person, but
1: oh, here's my. Take. Plus, like his whole relationship with um, Steve Sanders is based on him supposedly exposing Steve Sanders as a cheat when they were teenagers. And it's evolved into this bizarre yeah, yeah, relationship yeah. where Steve Sanders said things like video games need a guy like Bush.
2: Yeah, the thing is, I always got the impression throughout the documentary that once Steve Sanders has been exposed as a cheat, Steve Sanders was kind of keeping Billy Mitchell in kind of a legal... Uh, cr- um, corridor of being able to cheat but not being found out as a cheat. It felt like he was his advisor staring him on the right and wrong path of maintaining this fake score. But I just want to say um, there's a there's a phrase called MAME, M-A-M-E, which stands for Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator. And it means it's a free and open source emulator designed to create the hardware and arcade game systems in software on modern personal computers and other platforms. So the reason why it's possible um, that Billy Mitchell probably use the game emulator is because this sort of technology has existed since 1997 and i think he comes up in the in the documentary he suddenly comes up with this top score in 2006 even though he had the record apparently since 1982 but he's never been known to play a high scoring game of donkey kong since that year in public sorry i should say um
0: Steve. Steve is an interesting character, um, or is he? I mean, he's he seems he's like the antithesis of the of the community that's been built up around um, Billy Mitchell. He's kind of jockey. he's, he's not kind of geek he hasn't got a weird haircut like everyone else has and um know yeah, he's, he's I, I don't know if part of the, their kind of suspicion towards him is based on the fact that he is a bit of a jock and just a bit of a kind of nice guy with a nut family and um the, the one thing i would say about steve before we kind of completely fall in love with him is that recently he did um he, he did record a christian rock album so i think we should remember that when we're discussing him that he's not perfect. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Can I, can I say something about like Steve Sanders? One thing that made him like a lovable rogue for me is that he looks like a comedian called Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall, which is like a, an obscure Canadian um, comedy sketch show from the 80s. And it was almost like every time he came on screen, I was expecting him to say something funny, spurious or um, contradictory to whatever Billy Mitchell said. But he ended up being, for me, he just came across as like a comic relief.
1: Hang on, are we? We're mixing up Steve Weeby and Steve Sanders. Steve Sanders is um, the sidekick. Yeah, I'm, I'm I was talking, talking about to... Steve Weeby.
2: Oh no, I'm saying Steve Sand, Steve Sanders. In he does look like Scott Thompson from um from uh, Kids in the Hall, but it's like you you've got this kind of he's the original villain, ironically of the documentary, but he ends up being comic relief to the uh, almost like a kind of. Uh, the left-hand man to Billy... One of the left-hand mans to Billy Mitchell sort of thing. Yeah. talk
0: about this being made into a feature film, like a proper drama. um Who would you get to play Steve? I think I would go for Josh Hom from The Queens of because they'd look very similar.
1: Josh Hom. <laughs> he is. He is funny. Do
2: you know what? This feels like a... If this was to be made in a feature film, it's got to have Danny McBride in it. I would want a Jason Segel type character, the guy who is, and I'm thinking it's the guy, Jason Siegel's the guy who's in um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, because it needs these kind of odd-faced and odd-shaped individuals playing the game because I think your body morphs around your posture to play the game. So you've got a lot of kind of not very athletic people considering themselves to be athletes from <laughs> basically sitting on their arse all day and moving joysticks around and it was kind of funny there was one cutaway point where I think one of the guys talked about how he got some weightlifting gloves and you think oh it's because he's trying to keep fit it's like no it's because <laughs> I, I don't want to get calluses on my um, knuckles from uh, rolling the joystick around and when you play this other game you can roll the tracker ball with, with um, any type of dexterity and I was just thinking you guys are just out there you know
0: you know, these kind of communities that build up around kind of niche interests are interesting, but very cliquey and very odd. Um, I, I've never, you know, it's like I, I've also quite subscribed to the Groucho Marx um thing about I don't want to join a club that um would have me as a member, <laughs> and, and this is this is kind
1: of um, this film is kind of. Yeah. It makes me realise that I'm right in thinking that way. I mean, maybe there's something like inherent to those early video games with the emphasis on one-upmanship yeah. and putting yeah. your name at the top of the leaderboard.
2: Well, um, I think maybe we should sum up mm. the point because we've got to land the plane soon. But um, what uh, my final word on this is: it is an interesting documentary. It is an education in '80s arcade games and the rivalries that have been existed, and also the cover-ups and corruption. Um, in the 80s arcade, high-point-scoring high um, culture. But uh, I do think the, the documentary filmmakers have played their own game with the audience because they have... If you watch other documentaries, such as The King of Con um, and uh, Chasing Ghosts... Chasing Ghosts is a documentary that came out in 2007. The King of Con came out in 2012. But the documentary filmmakers are playing their own game of picking the super mario hero and donkey kong villain for you so you don't actually get to see the relationship with the other winners who've been pushed to the sidelines by twin galaxies and also the other cheaters like todd rogers who are perpetuating the myth of who is the greatest and best of the um top scorers.
1: With, that is pretty comprehensive but um, as we land the plane I guess we should say that um, as you might have gathered this is a documentary that extends beyond its niche and I think it will be entertaining for people even people with no experience or interest in gaming just because the characters are so over the top and they're so unfettered. The, um, the makers, the filmmakers have got these people to talk completely unselfconsciously and reveal themselves at their absolute worst in front of the camera, which is always entertaining.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, it's a great documentary. Um, I'm
1: glad I recommended it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm glad you recommended it too.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Stephen. appreciate it.
1: No, I can say, honestly, this was the, the most fun I had watching a documentary this week. That is for sure. (laughs) Yes, brilliant. How many documentaries do you normally watch a week? Well, um, (laughs) it depends. But I did watch the current best picture documentary, My Octopus Teacher, which we will be talking about another time, which I was expecting to love. And I thought it was okay. I didn't love it. But this one, I mean, I was straight in there. I just... I thought it was technically a great documentary in the way that it found the subjects, it presented the subjects, it was edited. I mean, there was probably some manipulation of the story arc, I think we can say that. Is
0: there any documentary that is pure and actually does exactly tell the truth? I don't think that is possible.
1: I, I I think you're right there, except if it was like the most absolutely dry TV documentary about something. But I think a cinematic documentary has got to be edited around a story arc and at some level. And I mean, this one went for it and it did it really, really well. Thanks for the recommendation, Stephen. Um, it's a recommendation for everyone. The King of Kong is a real winner.
2: Where can you watch it, then? That's a good question.
1: <laughs> I watched it on Streamio.
2: You can pay for it as a, as a streaming video on Amazon Prime at the moment.
1: So that's about it for this week. Thanks to Stephen and TJ for joining me. That has been Dom's Docs on Geek Sweat. See you soon for another Geek Sweat. Bye-bye.